This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Welcome to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Addie. And I'm Tommy. And you're listening to Series 9, Episode 7, The Jolly Heart. We don't have any official announcements for you today, but we do have a little bit of what I'm going to call bookkeeping. As you might have guessed, last week's episode was the farewell to Roman's character, Badlands Pete, at least for now. Who knows when we'll be getting our next cast member coming in. Uh, So for now, we're just going to have Juliet, Roy and Clayton accompanying us into the garden. And with that, let's move on into Words with a GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. This Words with a GM is about Series 9, Episode 6, Drifting East. We spent the majority of the episode in a settlement called Waypoint, uh, and it's a pretty iconic location uh, in Manifest's lore. So we thought we might tell you a little bit about it. Yeah, Waypoint is a location that any drifter can expect to visit at least once, if not multiple times in their lifetime. Uh, Manifest has eight factory towns, which, as we saw with San Cordero, are overpopulated advanced cities. All of the factory towns are connected by the high-speed rail system, but due to a number of reasons, including the selfishness and corruption of the factory town governors, the high-speed rail doesn't stop in any settlements. They instead go directly from factory town to factory town. The one exception to this rule is the settlement of Waypoint. Located in the Badlands, just on the other side of the mountain range that makes up the western border of the Garden, Waypoint is a town made for drifters by drifters. Waypoint serves as a refueling station for the high-speed rail, as the three Badlands factory towns are quite spread out. Being the only settlement with a connection to the rail system, and being located at a central point between the Greater Badlands and the Garden, makes Waypoint one of the most visited settlements on Manifest, a literal waypoint for most travelers going to and from the Garden. Most drifters tend to avoid the factory towns when they can. There's usually not a lot of work for them in the cities, and often people who choose the lifestyle of a drifter don't conform well to the oppressive regimes of the governors. Luckily for them, Waypoint has just about everything you'd need from a city while still being open and free like any self-respecting Badlands settlement. Not to mention that you can find yourself paying nearly twice as much for something in a factory town as you would in a free settlement like Waypoint. As players explore Manifest, they'll find out that there's a pretty distinct difference in the way of life between settlements in the Garden and settlements in the Badlands. The Garden is a much smaller region than the Badlands. It's almost a third of the size, and yet it houses four factory towns in relative close proximity, while the Badlands only has three factory towns. This means settlements in the Garden tend to be closer together and exist in much closer proximity to the nearest factory town. The governors of Garden factory towns exercise their authority over the neighboring settlements, sometimes to the benefit of law and order in that region, and sometimes to the detriment of freedom and autonomy. Meanwhile, the Badlands are so vast and difficult to travel that only the few settlements most close to the three factory towns in that region gain the benefit of the attention of their respective governors. 
leaving almost all of the Badlands settlements to fend for themselves. This autonomy is actually desirable to a lot of people, especially drifters. And there are many who see the Badlands as the frontier for a free way of life away from the influence of the governors. But life away from the city comes with a cost. Most Badlands settlements are not particularly well off and have to look out for themselves as they're so spread out from each other. Years ago, the mayor of Waypoint, Alex Graves, who we met last episode, addressed this issue by forming the Confederation of Badlands Settlements, creating a loose partnership of trade and collaboration between the settlements around Waypoint. This made Waypoint almost like a de facto capital for the Badlands, a central hub of information and trade that bridges all of the communities of Manifest, between the factory towns, the Badlands settlements, and the garden settlements. You can see how that makes it a very desirable location for drifters, because if there's work to be done, drifters can hear about it at Waypoint. The interaction between this campaign's characters and Waypoint is actually not an uncommon one for drifters. The way they kind of rolled into town, stayed for a little bit, resupplied, and then moved on to the next job is the iconic relationship between a drifter and any given town. The thing that makes Waypoint unique is the fact that drifters will often pass through it multiple times as they drift from destination to destination. That's why Waypoint is often the closest thing to a home most drifters have. It's the one familiar touchstone in their journeys all around the planet. There's a lot of history to Waypoint and a colorful collection of locals, most of which are ex-drifters, and we got to see a few of them last episode. And players and GMs can look forward to exploring that lore once the game is released. I just wanted to give the listeners a little taste of this iconic manifest location before we moved on to the rest of the story. Waypoint is an awesome location. Uh, we spent a lot of time there while we've been playtesting Manifest, and we've had a blast meeting its citizens and exploring all that Waypoint has to offer. I know that I'm personally very excited to bring you all of the lore and the characters and 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 this setting in general for you and your players. But as of this recording, the book has not yet released, so you'll have to wait a little bit uh, before you can really dive into it. Uh, so we'll put a pin in that for now and move on to favorite parts. Uh, Addie, what was your favorite part of the last episode? My favorite part is uh, the moment when Roy decides he's not going to try and escape. Uh, he he does this whole thing where he gets out. He could have run away and he might have gotten a big enough lead to get away from Clayton and instead shows that he does have at least a little bit of gold in that heart of his and uh, returns to his captivity, question mark, for sort of the good of his companions. Yeah, as a GM, I actually wasn't sure how that was going to play out. Uh, I had to just trust that Dan wasn't going to make Roy just like book it and completely derail the campaign. <laughs> and I like the the choices he made. It's actually kind of interesting. Like what's what's Roy's angle now that he is obviously choosing to allow himself to be in shackles as opposed to being forced. Uh, obviously, he's probably a little afraid of Clayton's luminescent powers and uh, no doubt afraid of Juliet's retribution. But uh, uh, it's interesting. It adds another layer to Roy's character. Definitely. But what was your favorite part? My favorite part was the frankly touching moment where uh, Badlands Pete met up with Welby and Cade before he drifted out of Waypoint. 
I, I wasn't really sure what he had purchased rope for from the general store. And when it turned out that he was making a lasso for Welby, I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. And I kind of realized right then what Pete was really doing there because during uh, shoot the shit earlier, he had revealed to Juliet that his brother had recently died and how they kind of never really clicked. You know, they, they cared about each other, but couldn't really help each other out because they had just grown apart completely because, you know, Pete was lost and raised by, you know, wolves and whatnot. But, (laughs) but, uh, it was this, this really, really sweet moment where like, you know, it felt like Pete needed something out of this journey. Like he had said, he was, you know, he needed to get back in the Badlands to feel like himself. And I'm sure nothing makes Pete feel more like himself than jumping on top of a giant monster and riding it around. So he got that a little bit, you know, and we saw him smile for the first time. And then he gets back and he does this super touching thing where he like kind of looks at an idealized mirror of himself and his brother with Welby and Cade. You know, Welby the younger one holding his lasso and Cade the older one uh, uh, and they're and they're together and they have a chance to look out for each other and be the brothers that he kind of always wanted to be with his brother and and that moment actually like when it when I realized it was happening it like it it gave me the feels man I was like oh my god that's so great so kudos to Roman for finding that moment uh, before Pete made his exit uh, I loved it I loved it so much Yep, it's Welby and his mountain man. They're always <laughs> so cute together. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, Welby, as an essential NPC, does always seem to latch on to the biggest, most gruff character in the party and just make him a big old softy. I love it. <laughs> but we have plenty more journey ahead of us. Uh, we're not even halfway through the series and we're moving forward with three characters at this moment. Not sure when we're going to meet the person who's going to fill seat number four. But I'm very excited as we are moving into the region of Manifest known as the Garden. So without further ado, let's move on in and listen to Series 9, Episode 7, The Jolly Heart. Enjoy! Greetings, I'm Clayton Sawyer. You may not have heard of me, but I'm one of the best bounty hunters in the Badlands. I got a few advantages, you see. First is sugar. Maache, and even though I only found her a few years back, my best friend. She was the runner for a herd and probably couldn't keep up and was cast out, and I know how that feels. So me and her bonded, and she grew up right with me stepping in as her daddy. The second edge I got, hunting bounties, is that I'm illuminated, and my abilities grant me an advantage that most of the nastiest outlaws ever got bountied can't compete with. The thing about being illuminated is that those same abilities that give me all those powers and advantages are also unsubtle to most folk. They can understand a gun or a knife, but they can't quite figure the threat someone like me might be to them. That's why me and Suge are always moving, hunting, and on to the next bounty, leaving people behind before they can make us get. One day, me and Suge are going to pull in a big bounty, and we'll make enough to settle into our own homestead we can be ourselves and ain't nobody gonna try to drive us away again. We'll wrestle cattle, do some farming, and live a quiet life on our own little slice of the Badlands. Howdy folks, name's Roy Hampton. Now I know what you're thinking. How did such a dashing young man come to be robbing you today? Well, you get to handing over your spurs and I'll tell you what's what. I grew up in a factory town with my mamas Helen and Kate. Helen was a kind, quiet lady, kept her head down to raise me best as she could. But Mama Kate, 
she was the kind of woman who couldn't help but stand up for us, even when we weren't asking. In the city, there's two kinds of folks. The family, and people paying the family. And Mama Kate wasn't about to be either. Problem is, when you're standing up to a planetary crime syndicate, you and yours are liable to end up in the dirt. So when the Jimmies came to our home, my mamas held them off long enough for me to escape. After that, thieving wasn't a choice. It was survival. Now, miss, you ain't gonna get to that holdout before I lose this arrow. Just sit tight. We're almost through. See, turns out I got a knack for this life. Key is to always have the advantage. Never pick a fair fight. Second trick is to rob folks that can afford to lose it. And there ain't nobody richer than the family. There was a time I was hitting the family so hard I was taking enough spurs to live like a king. Trouble is, family ain't inclined to let robbery of that magnitude slide. Hence the 800 spur bounty on my head. Now I know y'all are feeling a few spurs short, but look on the bright side. Next time you throw a fancy shindig, you can tell the story of the time you were robbed by Roy Hampton, legendary outlaw. Y'all have a nice day now. My name is Juliette Hunt, and I've been a drifter nearly my whole life. My parents were killed by bandits when I was far too young. I only survived because a gunslinger named Avery came along and rescued me. Being that I was an orphan, he took me under his wing and taught me to shoot like him, passed on the craft, like a father to a daughter. After Avery died, I drifted alone for a time, until happenstance brought me to Cyrus Finch. He's loud, flashy, full of cockamamie ideas, and occasionally a criminal. And I, I ain't any of those things. We ended up drifting together a long while and gotten to mourn a few situations we never saw coming, including getting hitched. Like all drifters that live past their prime, we eventually hung up our irons and we settled down in a nice little town in the Badlands. Now, I ain't so retired that I won't oblige somebody who's in desperate need of a bullet. And Cyrus has to sate his itch to run a grift from time to time. But by our standards, it's a quiet kind of life. For a long while, it was a pleasant life. Until Cyrus up and disappeared without a word. Now, he ain't the most communicative individual. But I just got this gut feeling that something ain't right. And Avery taught me better than to ignore my gut. So I've closed up shop, took up my irons, and set out drifting again. My Cyrus is out there somewhere, and I'm gonna find him. And when I do, oh boy, he better be in need of saving. Otherwise, he's in trouble. The last time we left Juliet, Clayton, and Roy, they were heading east from Waypoint through the mountains. Clayton and Roy with a final destination of the city of Glenspire, and Juliet with a destination on the same trajectory, a settlement known as Tanner's Gulch. You three resupplied at Waypoint and set out. The journey through the mountains is going to take about 23 days and luckily will be relatively uneventful. You don't run into any anything particularly life-threatening uh, and you are all very seasoned and capable drifters who can ration their food and uh, set up safe camps every night. Uh, so for the most part, you have uh, 23 days of leisurely travel with each other, which, of course, means that we are going to begin this session with the three of you rolling shoot the shit. So who uh, who's picking who? I got Roy. 
Uh, I will pick Juliet. And I'll pick Clayton. All right. Everyone roll personality as an attribute only test. Who would like to go first? Well, Roy, I got two successes. Uh, so, Roy, you get to learn something about Clayton. Uh, so you guys are, everyone. each one of you has your own mount. Uh, Roy, you're on a hover bike that you took from the Walden gang. Clayton, you're, of course, riding on the back of Sugar, your Ache. Juliet is on her horse, Sadie. And at this particular moment, Juliet's kind of a little ways ahead on the trails. And, and Roy and Clayton are kind of riding next to each other. Hey, uh, Clayton, I've been, I've been meaning to ask. You know, we've been on the road together a while now. And obviously, you know, the only reason you caught me is because you cheated with them luminescent powers. So, like, how'd you... How you did you learn to do that, or is it were you born with it, or can I cheat too? <laughs> <laughs> well, number one, there ain't no written rules on capturing people. Well, there is, but it says nothing about my powers. Number two, I don't know. I was just kind of born with them, and kind of figured out how to do different things with them, uh, either directing it inwards make myself more skilled and agile or outwards to find what I'm looking for or to see beyond my sight, I guess. Dang, so like no way for me to get them, huh? Uh, how, how, about how far would you say sort of the, 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 tail, the tail end of how far you could find something outside your own vision with these uh, cheating powers you got, would you say? Further away than you can run. Well, we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> and Roy, uh, you picked Juliet. How many hits did you get? I got three hits. Okay, so some other time later in the journey, uh, you guys are setting up camp, and Roy and Juliet, you bond over something. All right, well, seeing as we're out in the wilderness, and like, I'm pretty sneaky, and sometimes camps get ambushed, as we have learned, uh, I stash a bundle of... Uh, electrified projectile ammo under some rocks about 20 feet away from camp such that I could, you know, dart away, become unseen, and then sort of electrify a bunch of folks if we was to get jumped. You uh, you know, Roy, a better place for that is actually on the other side. If they're in camp, you want to take cover from them. Oh. Huh. That's a good call, huh? <laughs> my... my Actually, my husband, Cyrus, uh, used to do the same thing. Um, and I, in fact, he used to also put the weapon on the wrong side of whatever he was hiding it behind, thinking they were coming from the outside. So I understand the sentiment. While Cyrus always had the inclination on how to start trouble, he never really got the inclination on how to finish it. And that really, really taught me where uh, people who live less within the bounds of the law, really, uh, how, the, how they really think. I'm sorry. Are you saying that you, a capital G gunslinger, are married <laughs> to a criminal? I think he prefers grifter. Okay, well, every grifter I met preferred grifter to criminal. That don't make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got a little bit of, a, of larceny operating in him. I'll say that. Didn't do so much of the killing, but uh, as as he's a half grifter, half doctor, but uh, but he definitely uh, 
was always trying to find that grift of a lifetime. And uh, he's literally my opposite in every way. We never actually got along for a very long time until we realized that arguing was how we got along. So, yes, Roy, you are somewhat a tiny bit like my husband, and I don't actually begrudge you for being an outlaw and thieving. It's the killing part that I don't like. Only only I get to do the killing, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, let me put it to you this way. I ain't ever robbed nobody that couldn't afford to lose it, and I ain't ever killed nobody that didn't earn it. Well, maybe you'll uh, talk to me more about uh, what you've done, and, and maybe uh, you can change my mind on who you killed. Well, we'll see. And Juliet, uh, you picked Clayton. How many hits did you get? Two. All right. Clayton, you get to learn something about Juliet. Uh, so you guys are continuing your way through the mountains. Um, the terrain is getting a little greener. Uh, you are getting further and further away from uh, the dry, desolate landscape of the Badlands, and you can feel the garden uh, is nearby. And uh, yeah, Clayton, you get to learn something. Juliet. Uh, yes? I overheard you talking about your husband and how he's a grifter and all that. Real sweet you got married and all. How did y'all start working together? Juliet can't help but smile a little bit. Uh, well, I was traveling the Badlands looking for a particular person. And uh, we happened to be in the same town and I shot a man who drew uh, his gun on me after cheating at cards. And his friends didn't like that that much. And Cyrus generously offered me a ride out of town. There was an ensuing gunfight that sent us across the Badlands, and then um, from there, we never really saw fit to to split up for a long time. Just, we fit. It's really all that there is to it. Well, that's a lovely story. I don't know about lovely once you get into the specifics, but uh, I appreciate the sentiment. (laughs) Well, don't get into the specifics, and I'll just think of it as a sweet Sweet love story. I think you're a bit of a softy. I like that. I can be. And I pet sugar as we ride. <laughs> yeah. Sugar kind of like shakes uh shakes her head and turns her ears towards uh towards Clayton as he gives her some gives her some neck scritches. And uh yeah, uh twenty-three days later, uh you guys begin to break onto the other side of the mountainous terrain. Uh and there's a point where you actually um come out onto a cliff edge and you get a beautiful view of the garden, uh, a stark contrast to the, uh, a stark contrast to the landscape of the badlands. This area of the garden is rolling green, beautiful hills, uh, streams and lakes, uh, smattering. You can see miles and miles afar. You actually see rolling black storm clouds off far to the east, moving north to south. And somewhere nuzzled in those hills, uh, known as the Glenspire Hills, uh, is Tanner's Gulch. And uh, for a moment, you can all just kind of like breathe in the uh, the fresh air of the garden, kind of the crisp mountain air, uh, breeze uh, blowing uh, in your face. And uh, you continue your way down. Um, not too far from Tanner's Gulch, uh, there's a point where you're traveling along the trail, getting, uh, getting out of the mountainous terrain, a little more into the hilly terrain. And um, a yellow flyer of paper is kind of flowing in the in the breeze, and 
any one of you could reach up and grab it as it flows by. I uh, grab it out of the air. And it's a little crinkled. It, it seems like it's a bit weathered. Uh, um, and you kind of straighten it out against uh, Sugar's back. And uh, you see a flyer with uh, the depiction of a man's face uh, with a monocle and a top hat and handlebar mustache uh, smiling at you dead center uh, and text all around that face that reads, Come one, come all, presenting the 45th annual Jolly Heart Traveling Carnival Extravaganza, touring select locations in the garden for the next 30 rotations, holographic games, thrilling rides, legitimate psychic readings, delightfully disturbing shows, featuring such acts as Cherie, the Dancing Swordsman, Toli, the Mistress of Fire, Ixuth, the Alien from the Great Beyond, Kreta and her hide-behind, Mr. Crinkle, Minnie Mongo and the Murderous Moppet, Fearless Beak, the Tamer of the Untamable, Plimp Pamperson, Manifest's Richest Hobo, Kira and Kira, Highwire Strongwomen, Pug Jackson, Ugliest Contortionist Ever Born, The Mysterious Farage, The One Who Knows, Alistair Phenom, The Illuminated Twelve-Year-Old, and much, much more. And, uh, and on the back side of the paper is a schedule of all the different settlements that Carnival is going to be going to, uh, with, uh, uh, Tanner's Gulch, uh, listed, uh, kind of near the top. And, uh, you, it looks like you guys are going to be able to make it in time before the Carnival packs up and leaves Tanner's Gulch. Well, look at that. Carnival's in town. Good. Cause that's where we're going, or at least I am. Um, I, I bet you they'd give, they'd put you up for the night if you wanted to come with. That's, uh, actually where... Cyrus grew up, so I'm checking in. Maybe he's even there. Well, worth a look. Carnival's basically a master class in thievery. I don't see any reason not to, you know, do some continuing education, as it were. <laughs> Roy, maybe we should put the cuffs on once we get into town. I don't think that's necessary. I, I think it's necessary. <laughs> <laughs> and, um... A day or two more of travel, and uh, you guys see Tanner's Gulch in the distance. It is nuzzled in a sea of rolling hills. It's a moderately sized settlement with a couple main roads and a few sizable buildings of sturdy-looking construction. Uh, there's a strong flowing river that curves around the southern border of the town, and on the other side of that river, you actually spot a few farmsteads scattered along the hills. Tanner's, Gul uh, Tanner's Gulch is a notable livestock town in the garden. Uh, and to, to the north, uh, just outside of town, you can see the Jolly Heart Carnival. Uh, colored, striped tents cover almost as much territory as the town itself. Several tall rides with flashing lights draw your eye. The holographic image on the side of the very large Ferris wheel alternates between dazzling patterns and bold letters advertising the carnival for miles around. As you guys are approaching from the west, you can, uh, you can ride directly into the carnival or ride directly into Tanner's Gulch. It's your choice. I'm keen to continue on to the carnival but um i can respect that my companions might go to uh want to go to the town first i'm not opposed to checking out the carnival never actually been to one myself well you know i guess i'll, I'll head into town and I'll, I'll get us rooms while the two of you sort of go scope out the carnival make sure we got a place to stay for the night that just seems smart hey roy put your hands out please fine i'm just saying Rooms are going to be booked when we get there tonight. I think we'll manage. <laughs> After uh, getting paid last time, uh, 
I managed to pick up some new toys, Roy. And uh, I'll pull out the containment manacles, which will lock up your hands and your feet. <laughs> well, hey, Clayton, I know we've been traveling together now on a month or so now, but that seems a little early to bring into the relationship, don't you think? <laughs> I remember these hovering. I can probably just pull you behind sugar now. <laughs> so so uh, as you guys pull up uh, to the edge of the carnival... Um, Clayton has Roy get off of the off of the motorcycle and Roy, your wrists uh, and ankles are bound with uh, hard metal uh, cuffs with a steel bar between them. And those manacles attach to a, a sort of hover bar um, that uh, sits behind you and uh, you're, you're with your wrists at your waist and your ankles uh, about shoulder width apart. Uh, you are kind of attached to this hover bar that allows Clayton to push you in front of him uh, at an upright position, uh, hovering about, you know, two feet above the ground. Um, or he can lay you flat and push you at uh, waist height if he wants. Uh, Clayton, I assume you're pushing him upright. Yeah. I'm not going to be mean. <laughs> so you guys pull up to the carnival. There is an area where you can um, hitch animals and park vehicles. And uh, so if you're pulling up towards that, one of the carnies kind of steps out of a, a tent in that little area. It's a little fenced in area where a bunch of animals and vehicles are. This carny has uh, a double mohawk and a curly mustache and long, thin uh, goatee, uh, heavily waxed. Um, and he steps out, uh, smiles a, a toothy grin at you. He's got a couple gold teeth and... Uh, he waves you over with his one gloved hand and uh, tells you to stop. He's like, ah, hitching up for the night, coming to the carnival. Yeah. Is um, Mordecai around? <laughs> Mordecai's always around, uh, lady, um, but he ain't here. Just me. But I'll look after your, uh, I'll look after your horse all, all the same. Uh, and uh, uh, this, uh, this fine beast here is uh, uh, going to give us all sorts of trouble. Maybe we'll have to introduce him to Beak. And then like someone else from the tent's like, yeah, wouldn't that be the day? Oh, no, she's a sweetheart. Wouldn't her to fly unless I told her to. All right, well, you know, we don't judge around here. We just take care of, uh, take care of things so you can go ahead and enjoy, the, enjoy your entertainment. So it's going to be a, a five spurs each of you to, to hitch up here. Look at Juliet. Well, go on, Clayton. Pay the man to park my motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> I pull five spurs out of Roy's coin pouch, and I pull five spurs of my own. And uh, I pay the man. He takes he takes your spurs um, and uh, says, now, of course, uh, if you want the deluxe package for your uh, steed there, sir, uh, we can go ahead and give her a nice clean wash and some quality meals for an extra two spurs. I hand him two spurs. <laughs> oh, no, Clayton's never been to the carnival before. <laughs> I just lean over to Juliet and I'll whisper, master class and thievery. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he takes the two spurs and goes, now, of course, uh, I'd be happy to refuel that there motorcycle there for an extra eight spurs if you want a little bit of a top off. Uh, of course, you know, just here I to I think serve. he's all right on his fuel there. And uh, thanks for holding my horse free of charge. Family don't pay, you see. He, like, furrows his eyebrow at you and he goes, lady, I ain't never seen you around here. That don't mean I ain't family. 
Just because you know Jolly's real name don't mean that you family, honey. I, I'm saying. Five Spurs, if you want to hit you uh, up here. I am married to his uh, his son, of course, and very well acquainted with uh, his surviving daughter. Uh, so if you'd like to walk with me to Mordecai and, uh, and hand these fine animals over to your friend, that's also fine. But uh, I don't think he'd be that happy if uh, he found out that you were breaking, you know, the code. Go ahead and roll uh, manipulate. Uh, so my highest is a nine. My highest is a ten. It's just one net hit. Okay. He sits there, kind of like looking you up and down, and he goes, what's his surviving daughter's name? I'm sure Ruby will be pretty hurt to hear that you don't remember, Junior. And his son. Which one? He, he like, his little smug, like, grin, like, kind of fa- wavers for a second, and he goes... All right, it's just two spurs to hitch up your horse, uh, mister. And uh, he, he hands uh, a few spurs back to you, um, Clayton. And he goes, uh, f- friends and family discount. And of course, uh, uh, what, did, what did you say your name was, uh, uh, miss? Juliet. Uh, your horse can uh, hitch here for free, of course. Much obliged. And I'll flick him a spur. Uh, he'll catch it. And... Um, if you're who who you says you is, uh, Mordecai uh, uh, will be happy to see you. He's going to be in his tent on the east side of the camp. Much obliged. Now about that wash. <laughs> Come on, Clayton. Oh, all right. <laughs> Clayton, I need to talk to you about the, the carnival real quick. <laughs> Seemed like a real nice man. Very, very kind. Also, he was uh, 100% swindling you. Oh, was he now? Yeah, uh, but that's just how it goes. People walk in, they know that, uh, and most of the most of the revenue uh, over operating expenses uh, goes back into the town. So uh, it ain't so bad. It's more like charity, but uh, but don't let them upcharge you like that. Don't don't say yes to the add-ons if you're gonna buy anything here. <laughs> okay, but is he going to wash sugar? I honestly do not know. <laughs> <laughs> now listen, Clayton. All of that that Juliet just said is true, but I will say there are some things that you can only get at the carnival and they are worth paying top dollar for. So, you know, you get your heart set on a thing. Don't be afraid to to drop some spurs on it. Like a wash? Sure. Like a wash or a souvenir cup or a big stuffed wampus. As you guys go walking down the main strip, you are being hollered at uh, by all sorts of con- carnival callers, people offering to, to guess your age, uh, 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 sideshows that are trying to invite you into the tent, sell tickets, tickets only, only five spurs. And then as you walk by a little bit further, only four spurs, three spurs. <laughs> and you hear the shouts and screams of people on thrill rides. You see the Ferris wheel uh, looming overhead, uh, circling around uh, that that same monocled face, uh, uh, smiling face uh, flashes uh, and then fades away to say, like, welcome to the Jolly Heart car- Carnival. Uh, and then, like, there's a big heart explosion, like, uh, uh, graphic that, like, swipes into a bunch of different, like, dazzling, like, star icons. The din of the carnival is... Uh, is all around uh, making it so you guys have to like uh, speak up to be able to hear each other as people are laughing, shouting, calling out to each other. Uh, you walk by as one person uh, 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 who's like a little drunk uh, tries to throw uh, uh, a ball at a bottle or at a stack of uh, bottles and uh, fails to like knock them over. And he starts like yelling at one of the uh, uh, yelling at the person behind the booth, being like, "You 
cheating man and this this ball is a bunch of of horse shit this carnival's just trying to take my money I, I deserve better than this and like very quickly like like a couple like carnival workers come in uh, and like grab him and like drag him uh, off and he just like disappears so you see Clayton it's more that you're paying for the experience than it is the actual like winning or or of the games uh they look like they're easy but they ain't guaranteed so don't play any of the games well now if you feel like you could win clayton you get in there you play them carnival games i've seen you like you're you're more gifted than most with uh with you know your aim and and your side I, i think you got a real shot at a lot of these games First place prize gets a stuffed Ache. What's the game? <laughs> the game is bushel basket toss. According to the sign uh, above the little uh, the little tent, a uh, gentleman in a bowler cap uh, with an arrow sticking through it. It seems to be calling out directly to you, Clayton, as he shouts that. And like prominently displayed behind him uh, uh, amongst a bunch of different prizes, a big stuffed Ache that kind of looks like sugar. And, uh, and Juliet and possibly, uh, even Roy, um, uh, you two probably both noticed as, uh, uh as you guys were walking that stuffed Ache got put up and then the guy called out to Clayton and Juliet, your experience with the carnival, uh, you're pretty sure that like the guy who was, uh, uh, hitching up the, the vehicles and the horses, uh, probably sent word down the line, uh, that Clayton was an easy mark. Now... Juliet, you say uh, they often like to cheat or rig these games? That is true, yes. They are not unwinnable. It is just unlikely you for you to win. Well, Clayton, an extraordinary individual like yourself. Surely you got a better shot at this than anyone else in this here carnival. You there, sir. I see that glint in your eye. You think you can give my game a try? Come on over here and test your luck. Bushel basket toss, the easiest game to win in all of the Jolly Heart Carnival. Come give it your try. Perhaps you can win the first place prize. I grin at Juliet and Roy, and I head over towards the uh, <laughs> towards the stand. He goes, the game is simple, my friend. All you need to do is land both of these balls into this basket here. I'll show you how easy it is, sir. Here's one ball. He tosses it to you. And you, and you can catch it easily enough. It's not a hard toss. And then he goes, watch and learn. Uh, it's, all about, it's all about the hooping motion here. And he kind of like, from, from his position behind the, uh, uh, behind the counter, he kind of swoops his arm down and like lobs a ball upwards and it lands in, the, uh, in this basket that's kind of placed in the center of his tent. Uh, it kind of bounces a little bit and rolls around and then ends up in the, in the bottom of the basket. And he goes... Uh, and now you, sir, toss your ball into the basket. You'll see how easy it is. The basket's only like four or five feet away from the counter that, uh, in front of you. And you can, uh, you can toss the ball in if you like. I'm going to look back at Roy and Juliet and, uh, a yellow sheen kind of goes over my eyes. (laughs) Okay. Are you activating uh, luminescent power? (laughs) Live. Okay. Go ahead and roll somatics for that. I'm at a plus three to finesse skills for an extended period of time. Okay. Yeah, if you're tossing this one ball in, um, uh, it is just a straight-up range test. No no modifier at all, so... Four hits. 
So you toss it in, it bounces uh, uh, in the basket, kind of bounces around, stays inside the basket and lands. He goes, see, easy as that, easy as that. Now, sir. And uh, he walks up and he collects the balls out of the basket and walks over to you and he goes, for just the low price of four spurs, you can play the game. To win a prize, you must throw both of these balls into that basket. Easy as pie, right? You just did it yourself. Just toss the balls in and you can earn a prize. If you would like, you can go for your second attempt. You toss both balls in again, you can earn a better prize. And should you manage to throw both balls in three times in a row, why, sir, this beautiful stuffed arche is yours. For four spurs? Four spurs, sir. It's a steal. This arche is, is made of the finest materials, easily uh, easily a ten spur product. You are getting quite the deal, sir. I look over at Juliet. It's up to you, Clayton. It's a... Uh... You know the game is rigged, but uh, if the experience is what you're willing to pay for, then uh, you can play. Rigged, rigged. Oh, you you wound me, my dear. No, no, no. This is the fairest game in all of the Jolly Heart Carnival. Now, should you go and try playing the balloon toss, I'd, I'd uh, recommend you try something else. That that game is a, is a straight-up scam. But this game here, honest as a triptych preacher. Golly, she would love that little stuffed ache. All right. And I hand over four spurs. All right. He he takes them, uh, rolls them over his uh, uh, over his knuckles and pockets them uh, and uh, uh, hands the two balls over to you. And he goes, all right, sir, first attempt. Go. Uh, now, when you are rolling this ranged test, you are rolling at a minus six. Hey, uh, while, while Clayton is now sort of enthralled by the hopes of maybe winning this Aache, I would like to start scoping out what it would take for me to get out of these here manacles. Uh, it would take a lockpick test at a minus five. Well, I mean, I got the time, so I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> okay. I got three successes. All right. You managed to toss the first ball in. You don't do the exaggerated hooping motion that was recommended to you. You kind of toss the ball, uh, uh, naturally putting a little bit of backspin on it. It kind of hits the center of the basket, flies straight up, and then lands back in the basket and rolls around. And then the second ball flies in just as easy uh, and lands in. And uh, he goes, look at you. First prize, first prize. Now you can have one of these little, uh, one of these plastic trinkets here, sir, or you can try and go for the second place prize. Would you dare to try tossing again? I want the Ache. All right, sir. Be my guest. Be my guest. Push your luck to your best. And uh, you can roll again at a minus six. Two successes. All right. You get the first ball in. Again, it, it bounces, seems to threaten to bounce high enough that it will fly out. But with the spin you put on it, kind of uh, having that that extra dexterous uh, ability with your fingers. You you make it stay in, and then the second ball flies in uh, easy. And he goes, my man, my man, look look at you go. Well, now uh, you've proven your worth for two prizes. Why not go for that Ache you so crave? And uh, as he does, uh, uh, Juliet, you notice um, the, the carny kind of lean against uh, the counter, and his hand dips underneath it for a second, and you see, like, some of the... Uh, uh, tassels and such uh that are decorating the roof of this tent uh begin to move with uh with the air of a fan and he uh, says uh try one more time my good friend try one more time and let's see if you can get that fine fine ache and uh, uh you can roll at a minus 10 hey listen if you leave here without that ache you're gonna regret it for the rest of your life i say as i get five hits on picking this lock <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, Clayton, uh, he's uh, turned on that fan right there. I see. I say really low. Uh, so uh, you're going to want to just uh, aim it just a little bit into the wind so, uh, so it's uh, more likely to go in. With her pointing that out to you and you kind of noticing to uh, uh, to adjust the way you've been throwing, uh, you you now will only be rolling at a minus eight. Single success. I'm going to spin grit to twist the knife for an additional success. <laughs> All right. So that makes two successes. Uh, uh, you toss the ball in. Uh, it it bounces. Uh, it kind of you toss the ball with a with a bit of a curve to it. It kind of looks like you're going to get it wrong, but the the hidden fan underneath the uh, counter blows it back onto the proper trajectory, and it lands in and like rattles around inside the basket. Almost bounces out, but lands uh, lands dead in. And then uh, you the Carney's grin kind of freezes on his face, like just petrified. And then you easily toss in the second uh, the second ball, and. Uh, uh, there's like just the briefest of hesitations before he goes, big winner here, big winner here. Look at this easiest game to win in all the carnival. Big winner for, for my good man. Sir, what is your name? Give me my damn Ache. My fellow Jack here, my fellow Jack here winning this Ache. <laughs> and he, uh, he grabs uh, he grabs it. He goes, easiest game to win in all the Jolly Heart Carnival. Uh, uh, this man here just proved it. You throw three times, you win a big prize. Easiest thing to do. A uh, small child could even do it. This man here, uh, this was child's play to him, and he enjoys this nice, big, uh, this nice big prize. You there, sir, would you like to give it a try? Only game you can guarantee first place, uh, a first place prize in all the carnival. And uh, you winning that that uh, Ache starts to draw people in. They saw someone like win a first place. And so like now there's like some people are coming in and like they're going to start like joining the game. And he goes, uh, you have a good day there, sir. You have a good day, sir, miss, sir. Uh, he says to, to Roy and like winks at Roy, uh, having noticed that you've uncuffed the lock on these manacles. Uh, I will call out. Hell, if my friend here can win it, any one of you could win this game. He's the least coordinated feller I've seen in my life. <laughs> I lean the I lean it back horizontal and place the stuffed Ache on top of Roy. <laughs> Roy now floating as a table. <laughs> Roy, you actually have to kind of like hold on to the manacles to keep yourself from falling out. <laughs> cool. Great. This is fine. And uh and then uh and then uh, uh a cute little stuffed uh a cute stuffed Ache uh is set on your chest and is kind of looking you in the face as you get pushed down the main strip. Uh, I think that uh, Mordecai's tent's just uh, this one right here. So um, uh, you're welcome to come with if you like, um, or you could partake of the carnival. Uh, it's up to you. I don't want to force you guys to do anything that, uh, you know, it ain't your mission. He ain't your idiot husband. So <laughs> it's up to you, I guess I say. I think we can hang around for a little bit just see where things go because if you're going to end up heading towards uh original destination might as well keep traveling together if not we'll get to it my input don't count <laughs> nope uh so you walk up uh mordecai's tent is a large circular tent with red and white stripes uh, and there's a couple carnies like sitting out uh on some barrels in front of the the main tent flap uh, and they like kind of stand up as you approach. They eye Roy being pushed, uh, kind of hovering about about waist height horizontally with these containment manacles and a stuffed animal on his chest. 
they kind of eye that and they just start like laughing and they go, <laughs> oh man, what is this uh, gift? Uh, some kind of offering for uh, Jolly? No, just a bounty. Uh, his, is he in? Uh, Jolly don't pay bounties, uh, pay out bounties. Uh, you're going to want to be going into town to the sheriff's office for that. Uh, though I do, uh, do appreciate the spectacle. Please, Tanner's Gulch couldn't afford my bounty. Oh, big talk from a man in, in manacles. I appreciate the spunk, sir. Uh, now, I'm sorry, miss. Uh, you're wanting to meet with Jolly? or Do you have an appointment? Uh, I don't think his daughter-in-law needs an appointment, does he? Uh, do I? He goes, daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law? What, you telling me Onyx got hitched? Nope. And then, and then uh, the other one's like, there's another one. <laughs> and he's like, what? And he's like, yeah, you know, the adopted one. And he goes, what you talk about? And then uh, a voice rings out from the tent. God damn it, I can't sit here and listen to you two idiots try to suss this out. Let her in. <laughs> I'll look back at them and I'll say, well, you see, when, uh, when someone sort of takes in a child, it's called adoption. And often they're considered a father, though they're not biologically as I'm pushed in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, and you guys enter into a large open tent. Um, uh, it has uh, a large four post bed, uh, comfortable looking kitchenette, uh, and dead center is a circular wooden table with marble inlay uh, that looks like it's a slice out of the trunk of a large tree. And uh, coming around the around from that table um, is a man, Juliet, you recognize as Mordecai Hart. Uh, he is a large man with wide-set shoulders, a bushy handlebar mustache, uh, and though he's bound to a wheelchair, uh, his he's pretty muscular for his old age. Um, you never uh, quite asked what his exact age was, but you think he's pushing his mid-70s. Uh, he wears a worn, patched top hat, a vibrant red tailcoat with gold accents, and a large red bow tie. Uh, standing behind him, um, uh, uh, also rising from the table, is a tall woman in her seventies. Uh, Juliet, you uh, you know this to be, uh, you know this to be Desdemona Hart, Mordecai's uh, wife. She wears a jeweled headband and she has her silver hair pulled back into a long braid that goes down her back. Uh, she wears a navy and gold corset with a uh, a burgundy blouse with long flowing sleeves. And her wine-colored skirt ends just at her ankles, uh, showing her pointed-toe, high-heeled boots. Mordecai, like, wheels towards you, uh, Desdemona walking up behind him. They both have smiles on their face, and he goes, Juliet, Juliet, my dear, it has been a minute, hasn't it? Uh, please, please, make yourself at home. And, and uh, oh, how, how rude of me. Uh, uh, allow me to introduce myself. Uh, I am Mordecai Hart at your service, uh, though most people around here call me Jolly. And he reaches out a hand to shake your hand, Clayton. I shake it. Clayton Sawyer. And uh, he shakes your hand and then wheels forward just a little bit. And uh, sitting in his chair, he's about uh, eye level with you, Roy, uh, as you're sitting there horizontal. And he goes, and you, my good, unfortunate friend, what is your name? Uh, uh, it's nice to meet you, sir. Name's Roy Hampton, legendary outlaw. Roy Hampton, Roy Hampton. Well, uh, uh, I do hope your fortune does change. I hate to see an honest man in shackles. No offense, of course, he says to uh, Juliet and Clayton. And he says, do you need a hand with this one here, Juliet? Uh, what brings it to our parts? Uh, and as he uh, as he has been kind of monologuing, uh, Desdemona has come up uh, and followed suit. She gave uh, uh, she gives you a hug, Juliet, and like a kiss on the cheek and says, it's swell to see you again, dear. And you. Unfortunately, I was I was hoping, honestly, that uh, 
that Cyrus was here. Desdemona, uh, having introduced herself to, to Clayton and Roy, turns and like crooks her head sideways and she goes, well, he was here a ways back. Is is something the matter? And uh, at that moment, um, the tent flap opens up and uh, uh, another carny enters. Um, uh, uh, he has a shaved head except for, uh, except for the center part of his bangs, which kind of hang down uh, in a widow's peak on his forehead. And he... He says, uh, sorry to interrupt, but that fella's here to take, a, uh, to take Beak's measurement for a prosthetic. And uh, Desdemona and Mordecai look at each other, and Desdemona goes, I'll, I'll handle it, dear. You go ahead and see to Juliet's needs. And she turns back to you, Juliet, and says, now don't you disappear without saying goodbye, dear. Of course not. Uh, and she uh, uh, kind of curtsies to Clayton and Roy, being like, gentlemen. Uh, Clayton tips his hat, ma'am. Uh, and, uh, and she follows the carny out, and Mordecai... Uh, uh, looking a little more, a, a little more stoic now, uh, starts wheeling himself towards, uh, towards that table again. And he goes, what seems to be the problem, Juliet? Uh, Clayton, my good boy is seeing this poor boy in manacles is just far too distracting for the likes of me. I can wheel him outside if you'd like. <laughs> I, I think Roy ain't going to go anywhere in this moment. Not before I could get to him. Don't you think Clayton? Uh... <laughs> It's just there's so many people here. Okay. But don't you run off. Once it becomes clear that Clayton has acquiesced to me being out of manacles, I'll, I'll sit up and just sort of undo the, the ankle cuffs myself, if that's all right. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, Mordecai lets out a hearty laugh and goes, <laughs> the look on your face. Oh, it's uh, quite impressive there, uh, uh, there, son. What'd you say your name was, Roy? It's kind of hard to get out of those things once they're on you. We got we pay a couple folk here to do it uh, in front of a live audience if you're ever looking for work. How do you feel about Snollygosters? Because, uh, of course, you know, we got to add a little bit of uh, life-threatening nature to it. Bad. I feel bad, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Offer still stands. Uh, sorry to go ahead. Uh, sorry to put you in that position there, Clayton, but... Uh, poor boy's been sitting there with pretend to be in manacles for who who knows how long, and I just had to see that. I just had to see that look. I love pulling one over on the law. Of course, no offense, uh, he says to both you and Juliet. And as a gesture of peace, let uh, let me offer you some brandy. I got it over there in the globe. Just pour me a glass while you're at it. How long you been out of your manacles, Roy? Who's to say, really? I say as I pour everyone a brandy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, uh, Mordecai gestures, uh, uh, gestures to the, uh, the wooden seats around the, the center table. And he goes, Juliet, now that I've had my fun, you have my undivided attention. Uh, uh, you was asking about Cyrus? Yeah. Um, he sort of up and went missing and I was kind of hoping he was here or you'd seen him, uh, which it sounds like maybe you have. Well, yeah, he, he came back here about, or he came through, uh, he came through the carnival about, uh, oh, six or so weeks ago, just as we was leaving the Badlands. Uh, he came in saying he was being followed by someone dangerous. Seemed like he was looking for the home field advantage. I didn't think too much about it. I mean, Cyrus is always most comfortable on the edge of calamity, after all. <laughs> You're telling me. Um, did he stay here or maybe meet with anybody? Did you see anything? Well, uh, he had a sit down with the fellow that was following him, and then they were out of here in a blink of an eye. Uh, they used this tent to have a chat and moved on without another word to me or Mona. Uh, I mean, Cyrus had that twinkle in his eye that made me think he had some sort of plan. Uh, honestly, I kind of thought you was waiting in the wings on this one. If I had known you were in the dark, I would have reached out. Well, I'm real sorry, dear. 
That's all right. Uh, There's no way you could have known. You know how he gets on his grifts, but usually he's at least dropping me a line. And, you know, he, he took my guns with him, which you know ain't ideal. So is there, is there any information, perhaps just something you saw or like, did you overhear him talking at all? I know you have ears everywhere. He, he grins at that and he goes, well, of course I had a couple a uh, couple people listening in. I mean, there's always someone dropping eaves around here. From what I heard, there wasn't much to the conversation, though. They was being pretty cagey with each other. Fella kept talking about taking Cyrus to his boss about a business proposition. And the way my people tell it, Cyrus wasn't given much of a choice, but he went along with it happy as a clam. So I figured he had the situation under control. Guess I may have misread it. If I had just known you weren't involved, I wouldn't have been so damn cavalier about it. My people caught the fella's name, or at least his first name. Uh, something like uh, James or, or Jimmy, if the memory serves. And uh, there's something Cyrus kept telling him. Uh, something along the lines of uh, he couldn't make a move against those of us here in the carnival because we were his kin or whatnot. Uh, Juliet's face goes like, is blanched, goes a little white. His name was Jimmy? I think so. They never got around to saying his last name, but I, th- I think... Uh, uh, Cyrus made a point to call him Jimmy, uh, call him Jimmy to a, f- a few times. My, my people said it was kind of like he was needling him. I looked to Roy. Um, how many people you know named Jimmy? Oh, I met a few here or there. Uh, thing is, they all happen to belong to the same family, if you know what I mean. Mordecai, thank you for being you. <laughs> uh, seems like uh, that family business. The family business that we uh, squared away might have caught up with him. Uh, Cyrus, I mean. Uh, um, Mor- Mordecai's face gets like stony serious and he goes, Wait, you talking the family? Same fellas put my sapphire in the ground? Not quite, but them's that killed the ones that put sapphire in the ground. I imagine that this is O'Malley. Ain't nobody else got need for Cyrus for anything. Will will you, uh, I'll make sure he gets home safe. I think you can expect him back here. Um, will you take care of, uh, of, uh, Clayton and by extension, Roy? I got some, uh, reckoning to dealing out. And, uh, Juliet will, like, literally stand up and, uh, put her, like, thumb on the handle of, uh, one of her six shooters and start, like, walking out of the tent. Mordecai will kind of roll out uh, to like cut you off. Uh, he'll be like, uh, "Juliet, Juliet, uh, I'm I'm not gonna stand between you and getting Cyrus home safe." Uh, but uh, it's getting late out there, and 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 honestly, uh, uh, I think you're gonna operate a little better if you have a little bit of time to clear your head. So how about you set up for the evening in the in the guest tent? We got room, and uh, and you set out in the morning once once you've had a a moment to process. I don't want you riding out there in the middle of the night. You know the carnival draws the attention of people looking to cause problems on the road, travelers coming to and from. I'd, I'd rather you you weren't uh, reeling as you start going on your way. Uh, Juliet shakes her head as if to, like, shake off a fog. You're right. Plus, I owe Desdemona goodbye, so uh, I think that's probably best. Yeah, I, I'd be much obliged. Thank you. Thank you. Guest tents just north of here. Uh, uh, your friends here, Roy, Clayton, uh, you're you're welcome there as well. You, y'all can rest up for the night free of charge. And uh, 
maybe maybe we can reconvene in the morning and discuss this. I'll see to my I'll see to the carnival for the evening. Make sure I have a a clear schedule in the morning. So so if there's any help I can loan you, uh, I I will. Thank you kindly. Uh, I will walk back, finish that very nice brandy in like one gulp, cough a little bit, and uh, and head out towards the guest quarters. I look at Roy. I look at my very nice containment manacles that I was so excited to use. <laughs> yeah, you know what? They might be defective. Or <laughs> You're just going to pick your way out of anything I put you in, aren't you? Hey, I've been telling you, literally since we met, I am a legendary outlaw, I say as I finish my drink and I'm making my way to towards following Juliet. I sigh and I follow Roy out of the tent. Okay. The sun is indeed uh, uh, setting the lights of the carnival, drowning out the night sky. The, the carnival never truly sleeps, so the, uh, uh, the noise will continue through the night. But uh, the guest tent is made of heavy fabric, uh, canceling out some of the noise as you go through. It is a, uh, a long rectangular uh, tent with several alcoves with cots in them that are blocked off with curtains to give a little bit of privacy. Um, and you guys walk in, and the tent seems barren. So, Ju- Julia, you're you're about to run off. What? Who's Jimmy? Uh, Juliet stops, uh, pacing, um, for a minute, and turns around and goes, "Uh, Jimmy ain't Jimmy ain't a person. Jimmy is a title that the family gives its hitmen. It's like you know, assassins, killers." Oh, Roy knows well, and that the family is is basically a criminal organization that takes up in pretty much every factory town, and and sometimes the the larger settlements as well, and and sort of like runs the crime. It's it's a what's the word? It's a syndicate. Syndicate. Thank you. And uh, Cyrus was born into into one of the families uh, called the O'Malleys, and in a through a series of halfway unfortunate events that Cyrus likes to call the grift of a lifetime, we ended up helping the O'Malley's, his family, which he left um, and came to the carnival for, uh, ended up helping them, the O'Malley's, take out another family. Uh, and it was through this greatest grift that um, we sort of settled his leaving in peace from from the O'Malley's. Um, and uh, it like every grift, the mark didn't exactly know what was going on, but um, it was one of those things where like he could f- have figured it out. And and one of those things is that we pretended that um, I died, which is what brings me to the conclusion that this is the O'Malley's branch of the family because that is, I think, the only reason that Cyrus would up and leave. Without letting me know, now now that I'm thinking on it, I just I assumed that the the chapter had closed, but apparently it had not. So it it turns out, I guess I don't exactly know how it all precipitated, but they got here and obviously had that meeting, and uh, whatever reason that twinkle, that smile that Mordecai was talking about means that Cyrus probably thinks that he can get out of it, but um we. Almost didn't last time, so I'm inclined to take the fight to them in Liberty City, and, you know, I would never bring y'all along to 
on what is effectively, if at all goes wrong, a, a suicide mission. The only solace is, is that Jimmy's are designed to be killers. So if he didn't kill him, then O'Malley wants something else or to kill him himself, I guess. I ain't real happy. Um, I don't want to get all emotional or whatever. Uh, Mordecai's right. I can't. I got to focus. But that's that's basically what's going on, Clayton. It's that my my husband has been effectively kidnapped by one of the most powerful organizations on the planet. Well, all right. So what's your uh, what's your plan then? You gonna go uh, charging into um, middle of Liberty City, start shooting up town squares till the family comes and finds you, presumably with Cyrus in this scenario? Not quite that loud, but something along the lines of find out where he is and take the fight straight to him. And I, I suppose you uh, you know how to do the recon, sort of map out their shipments, figure out who knows what, how to get them isolated, get them to talk, such that you don't got to deal with sort of a family hit squad coming and just busting into your hotel room and killing you in the middle of the night. They could try, but that whole reconnaissance shipment mapping thing is kind of Cyrus's game, but I've learned a little bit and, you know, he needs my help. He's And you, you surely, you got a way to sort of conceal your identity such that this O'Malley family, the largest of the families, don't realize you ain't dead and something's up soon as you step foot into Liberty City. Right? You thought of that too. Right? Well, I'm I'm older, much older now. Nah, you're right. Family probably forgets a face. <laughs> to be honest, Ro, I don't I don't know what to do. All right. Well let me tell you a story real quick. Down in Glenspire, there's an eight hundred spur bounty on my head. <laughs> there's an eight hundred spur bounty on my head. Because I've been hitting the family hard enough that it has become more convenient for them to bribe a sheriff to have me killed than it is for them to try and track me down and kill me themselves. They had to outsource to a bounty hunter, I say, motioning to Clayton, no offense, <laughs> to get me and bring me back to them. I am, as far as I know, the resident expert on killing family. If you're going to Liberty City for a fight... You're going to need some help. I think you have a, a date with uh, something else, though, Roy. Glenspire is, in fact, I think, your final destination. Well, I, I suppose that's up to Clayton, then. We're going to let this, this poor woman just sit here in despair, knowing her husband is certainly doomed, unless... Hey. <laughs> I I'll push on through that, knowing her husband is certainly doomed if she is to head into Liberty City alone. Without us, Clayton, is that what you're going to do? You're going to turn me in to, to the same the same kinds of killers that done kidnapped and possibly widowed this woman? I mean, how the hell is she even going to figure out where Cyrus is? You need someone like me to find that kind of information. Pardon me, I, I think I might know someone. <laughs> A voice comes out from one of the alcoves. <laughs> Startling all of you, uh, you thought that uh, you were alone here, uh, but a tent flap parts... Uh, and a, a young, uh, well-groomed uh, man steps through. His entire left arm and uh, his left leg from the knee down are advanced prosthetic mechanics, kind of unlike you've ever seen before. I mean, you've seen advanced prosthetics before, but uh, his are uniquely aesthetically pleasing. Uh, they're very sleek and fit his body uh, much more comfortably 
than other prosthetics you've seen like out in the Badlands. Uh, he also has an advanced prosthetic left eye. Um, uh, he has a extravagantly uh, quaffed mustache and he is a tall, thin man and he kind of steps out with a pleasant but maybe slightly sleepy expression on his face as if perhaps you guys woke him up with your conversation. I couldn't help but overhear. Uh, you lot are mixed up in the family. No offense intended, but what's it to you? Pater Malley's a right bastard. Well, in fact, on that, we can't agree. Uh, but uh, what do you know of it? Might understand you're a bounty hunter, criminal, and judging by your nines, they're a gunslinger. I have been called that before. I look at Roy. Yeah, that's more or less correct. I prefer outlaw, legendary outlaw, Roy Hampton. But, uh... <laughs> uh there's no love lost between the O'Malley's and my family, and it just so happens we may be able to help each other out. Oh, it's terribly rude of me. Uh, Giles Farthing is my name, and if you're a team of drifters, as I suspect you are, we might be able to do business like... You're saying that you could help me find my husband? Well, not me per se, but I have a friend, acquaintance really, who I do think has the information you may be looking for. But uh, in order to talk to him, I'd need you to do something for me. If it gets me the information I need, I think that that's a mighty fine trade, depending on what I'm doing. Do I believe this fella does in fact have the connection to the information uh, Juliet so desires? Yeah, uh, you don't need to roll on it. Uh, you are very good at reading people, and this guy is not selling a lie. He is hes honestly intrigued by you and uh, seems to think he might be able to, to offer the help Juliet needs. All right, then. What's the gig? Well, hold on. Hold on now. <laughs> Roy, we got our own business we got to attend to. Well, I am. Unfortunately, I can't feed myself with information, especially that which doesn't pertain to myself or... A bounty here. Oh, I can pay. How much are you willing to pay? Because uh, I do have other business I need to attend to, and if it's a small sum, it might not be worth my time, unfortunately. Oh, it is a paltry 400 spares, I'm afraid. <laughs> All right, I'm in. What's the job, then? <laughs> <laughs> Something important was stolen from me, and a friend of mine has the information on how I can recover that. Possibly how you can find your friend. Like, he makes it his business to deal in rumors and intel on just about everyone. Yeah, I'm in. Terrific. Who do I, uh, who do I have the pleasure of being in business with? Ah, uh, how rude of me. Clayton Sawyer. And my name's Juliet Hunt. Pleasure. Uh, so, Giles, uh, your contact, Pepe Dantoro, who makes it his business to know everything about everyone, uh, has been holding a a little bit of information from you until you do a favor for him. You just found a group of drifters to help you do that favor in exchange for you convincing Pepe to find out where Cyrus is. It is well into the evening and all of you are quite tired. Giles, you were rudely awoken just after going to sleep uh, and you know you need to reach out to Pepe in order to uh, arrange a meet for him to give you the rest of the information on this favor you're going to owe him. And... Juliet, you have a chance, a glimmer of hope that perhaps someone can help you find out exactly where Cyrus Finch is. And Roy, you have a stay of execution. And Clayton, a line on 400 additional spurs. And with that, 
we will end our session. And for those of you listening, we have found our next drifter, Giles Farthing, played by Nick Gajeri. His character intro will precede next week's episode, so don't skip over the character intros next week. And over the next few days, keep an eye on our social media. That's where we will be posting Giles Farthing's character art, and it is great. The talented Lillian Dermeyer continuing to knock it out of the park every time. We can't wait to share it with you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is affiliated with and specifically approved by Tommy Cotton. Manifest, the RPG, is property of Tommy Cotton. All rights reserved. For more information, go to www.manifesttherpg.com.